Are you struggling to find the right professional talent for your project? Are you working with a limited budget? We are so excited about our next sponsor, Casting Networks. I have personally used Casting Networks to release a number of projects for free to the industry's largest network of professional performers for my commercial work and for my very first short film, Strange Thing. Creators can manage submissions, schedule auditions, request and review self-tapes, and book top talent for their projects all in one place all for free. On Casting Networks, you can create an account and send your casting call to thousands of professional talent. So join Casting Networks, the industry's preferred casting platform where more than 1.2 million performers have scheduled over 14 million auditions. That's a lot of auditions. Visit www.castingnetworks.com slash movies to create an account for free today. Hey everybody, Alder Purcell here. The time has come. The iTunes link for the alternate is now live. You can now pre-order the movie on iTunes. Just search the alternate and it'll pop right up, or you can go to the show notes, and there's a link there uh, to pre-order the movie. It's $9.99, and it would go a long way to the success of the movie if you guys all pre-order it uh, right away. So we've been working on this thing forever. I've been talking about it on the show for seven years, and now it's finally available for people to buy. Um, these pre-orders make a huge deal uh, for the success of the movie. The more pre-orders we get, uh, the more people are going to see it, and the more people outside of my network are going to see it. Uh, we'll get some promotion on iTunes, maybe even get on the front page. If we get enough pre-orders, um, we're looking for 200 to 400 pre-orders if we can get that many or more. I know a lot more people than that listen to the show, so if you guys all pre-order the movie, uh, we'll be well on our way to having a huge success here. So thank you all for checking out the movie and for supporting the movie over the years, and um, thank you in advance for pre-ordering it on iTunes, and without further delay, here is the episode. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome. This is the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I am Oliver Purcell, the founding host of the podcast, and I'm a sci-fi horror filmmaker, and my first feature film, The Alternate, will be coming out on September 6th. Whoa, check out the trailer of the poster now. Woohoo, hooray. I'm Liz Manishal. I'm a writer, director, producer who's made two features, Bread and Butter and Speed of Life, and I'm currently in development on 12 more. I'm a distribution consultant who does sales, and I used to manage Sundance's Creative Distribution Initiative. This week, we welcome actor and acting coach Craig Archibald onto the show to talk about all things acting, from how he works with his students, what not to do as a young actor, and what it looks like to really, truly be a working actor. After that, we do another round of The Game, where this week, I quiz Liz with another question. But first, Liz, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, question mark. We are recording. I'm going to complete. We're recording this <laughs> two weeks in advance. So I'm going to take this time to project how I'm doing in two weeks. I will be 38 years old. I'll be holding a cane, <laughs> falling over myself, you know, dripping food while I eat. No, I'll probably be very happy as a 38 year old. And I will have finished a draft, like a really solid draft of Friendship is Hell, the horror film I'm writing with Amy Taylor, because our deadline is September 1st Ooh. for a fellowship we were in invited to apply to. So I think I'll be feeling very, very excited that my pages are done and that I'm in a good stage. And then it'll be fall and I have to suffer through college football for the next few months. So I'll be very worried about the state of my life going forward. How, how will you be in two weeks? 
You love college football, though, don't you? No, I love... You hate it. No, I don't mind it. Sean is like a very calm person. Very, like he balances me out. He's very stable. And, and the reason he's so calm is because all the anger and all the frustration comes out during Nebraska Cornhuskers games. <laughs> and so like me and my dog, Laura Palmer, end up like hiding in the bedroom whenever we hear the sound of the stadium. <laughs> like the stadium noise is a trigger uh, for us. That's amazing. So I will hopefully be doing very well in two weeks. I uh, didn't talk about something that is probably too early to talk about, but in two weeks, it probably is okay to talk about. And I don't really know what's going on because I have a meeting right after this call about it. So I'm basically pitching on another movie. Yay! That I got. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I got put put forth to direct it by my producer and it's a thriller. Mm. And I can't really say, I don't know how much I can say if they even want me to say anything about it, really. Don't say what you're nervous about saying. Don't say anything. No. Yeah, I basically got, pretty much got the green light. Because I basically, I gave my pitch on the script to my producer. And then he pitched my pitch to the EP. And then, you know, after their call, he was like, oh, yeah, he likes your ideas. He thinks it's great. And so uh, this call today is like basically just to seal the deal, meet him, and like uh, kind of give my take in person of the movie. And then from there, like I would be working with a writer to rewrite it. And the writer is like really open and really down to, to collaborate and like open to changes and stuff. And so, so yeah, we'll see how it goes. I mean, they still have to raise the money, you know. But it's a project you like enough, right? You're very picky. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. you like this enough. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Well, especially since I've been given like, like uh, the way it was presented to me is like, I would be the creative lead on the project. So I would have like, you know, say over the direction of the film and like kind of be looking to the being looked to, to the person to like, you know, make all the creative decisions. So that really appealed to me. And then when I like pitched all my changes, cause I have like lots of, lots of changes that need to be made to this movie in order for it to work. Everything was recepted really well, received really well. So I think that was really encouraging. And it, it was kind of this really emotional process because like reading the script was depressing because it was like, oh, I can't make a movie like this. Like this is my big shot. And like, this is the thing I I, I got to work with. Like, oh no, it's like, because it was like really dark and super pessimistic, you know? Mm. And I was like, well, like, why don't we like tweak it this way and turn it that way and like change this character, change the storyline take this character out and what do you think if we do things like that and they were like oh yeah that sounds great like we were worried about that anyways because it was like really gory and I was like okay well sure it will still be don't worry it's gonna be gory because I like gore it's just like it's not gonna make you want to crawl in a hole and die after you watch the movie you know because that was sort of what I was feeling after I read it I was like oh the world is terrible and everything is horrible but I don't even think that's the movie they want they want a movie that's like exciting and fun and like you know mm -hmm. action and gore and like a little funny and like you know like a little like you know shocking like they want all that stuff so i think it'll be good we'll just see how it goes i mean this guy's made a couple movies before and raised money so i think he like he feels very confident that they'll be able to raise the budget you know and they want to do it like as soon as humanly possible which is like really funny so yeah fingers crossed i mean i have to i have to get the job first yeah. so i haven't had that part happen and then the other part is like of course the the thing that you're waiting on with your five projects is like the money actually coming together so you know people make claims that they can do things really quickly and like you know maybe they can but um you know i think it, it always takes time so but i'm just excited to be working on something excited to be yeah just uh you know in the mix for this thing and it would be fun to collaborate with somebody and yeah i don't know i i mean we'll 
we'll see what actually is happening in two weeks from now, like what the reality of it is. And, you know, if it's different than what I'm saying, then we might cut this. But, um, you know, I was just really <laughs> excited about it and, you know, thrilled to, you know, I'm really excited for this meeting because like, you know, they, I was like, oh, should I build a deck? Should I do this? And they're like, oh, no, no decks needed. Like, and they even said that like they would build the deck, like the producer and the EP were going to make the deck for me and then do all the pitching. And like, I don't have to do anything with the fundraising part of it. Like, I, all I have to do is like work on the movie. I'm like, okay, dream come true. Hello. You let me to be a creative person here. And like, I don't have to worry about these things. And so, so yeah, the budget's like way bigger than anything I've worked on before. I really can't say that what the budget is, but it's like a big, big step up. So it would be a huge thing for me if this happened. So like, well, fingers crossed. Fingers. I'm, cr- I crossed him. I have to cross him three times now to make it uneven. But, <laughs> but oh my God, I can't believe works? I said that out loud. <laughs> yeah. That's so exciting. It's so exciting. Well done. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Thanks, Liz. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But the other thing that is very exciting that anyone can make happen right now is to go over to our Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash podcast. You can support the show, dollar, two dollars, five dollars, whatever you want to throw us. That would be amazing. If you do two dollars, you get uh, access to the back catalog, which... <laughs> It's like a task that's on my plate to take all the episodes out off the back catalog. And I haven't been not doing it because I have so many other things going on. So, you know, right now there's probably like 60 episodes that no one else can hear but Patreon listeners. But soon it'll be like 200 or 250. So, you know, everyone else in the world, enjoy it while you can. Enjoy all the po- the, the opposite episodes of the podcast. But soon it'll be behind the Patreon wall. But without any more further delay, here is our chat with Craig Archibald. We are here with Craig Archibald. Craig, do you mind telling your own story to us? What is the short bio of how you got to this podcast today? Well, I started my career as a young actor in Canada at the age of 15. I turned pro and uh, got my BA from the University of Saskatchewan in Canada and then went on to study in London and also studied at the Neighborhood Playhouse in New York City under Sandy Meisner, the famous you know master coach. And then I went on to my New York acting career and I did that for about 20 years. And then life brought me out to Los Angeles where I made the decision to open my coaching studio. I'd started coaching in 1995. It was sort of my way of not being a waiter or a bartender. And then when I got out here, I thought I'd take it a little more seriously because I could be my own boss and I could still write and act and produce and make things happen, but also own my own company. And so I sort of did it as an independence thing and it, it has worked out beautifully. I, I'm, I'm loving my life. I'm having a great time coaching a lot of young, good actors and helping people succeed. And that, that is nothing but wonderful. And then also I'm still writing and still producing and acting and, and doing my thing. So it's a win all the way around. And that's how I got here. Amazing. So why don't you just tell us about what you do as an acting teacher? Like what's your process? Like how does the business work? Like what is your approach? Well, first of all, my approach is that I'm not a guru. To me, that's the most dangerous thing. You know, like I think that <laughs> that a lot of acting coaches want to be gurus, you know, and I think I think that's interesting that they they try to find their, you know, their self-worth in in being a coach. And that's great. I do too. I enjoy it. But the guru actor relationship doesn't work. I mean, it's just a dumb relationship, you know. Well, guruing anybody is dumb because if you guru somebody, <laughs> the, the only place they can go is down, right? Like the, you're eventually 
eventually going to be human and you're going to be flawed, right? Because all human beings are vulnerable and flawed. And, and if you guru someone, there's just no choice but down. So I always tell my clients, please don't do that to me because it'll, it'll ruin the relationship. And I really look at my relationship as, as, as almost as a sports coach, right? Like I take my clients at their level of work. I look at what they're doing. I see their strengths and weaknesses and where they are weak. I try to shore them up and make sure that they have the tools within their capacity to be the best that they can be. And that helps their career move forward. We focus a lot on auditioning because this is an auditioning town. And so I, I mean, I work with my movie stars on their auditions, right? Like, so I work all the way through. And of course, when people book stuff, I'm always there to help them prep for the movie or the television show or whatever it is that they book. But that's sort of the general gist of it. I'm, I'm highly, I mean, I've been round, let's not say highly, let's say roundly educated um, with my Canadian upbringing. <laughs> and, and, I, and I was a pro right early. And so I was on sets early as a kid. And I learned a lot on those sets of professional decorum. And then I went on to study in London and I got a great situation in London. I, I got a pass to go into the National Theatre rehearsal rooms. And so I watched Sir Peter Hall directing Ian McKellen and, and, I, and I saw Anthony Hopkins in rehearsal. I saw David Mamet directing Glengarry Glen Ross. Like I watched these big time people work when I was only 20 years old. So I had a fantastic way into the industry. And, and I think that that education and then, of course, the Meisner education, I'm a member of the Actors Studio as well. So I, I know the method of Stanislavski, the American method, got the British you know, voice and speech training and fight training and all the stuff that we did over there, Alexander Technique, all, I've done it all, right? So I've got a really grounded, rounded bag of tricks that I can grab out of to help my clients be their best. And I think at the end of the day, my point is, is that my clients have to find their way into doing their best work. A lot of teachers and coaches and, and think that you have to do it their way. This is the only way you can do it. This is the only way to be a good actor. And I think that's baloney or, you know, I think it's bullshit, to be honest. And, and, and it is, it is bullshit because there is no one way in. The one way in for each artist is the right way for that artist. Now you have to sort of guide them through their bullshit and get them through to their level of humanity and vulnerability. But at that point, then, you know, then they're working from themselves and it's not an idea of doing it Meisner's way or Stanislavski's way or Strasberg's way. It's, it's doing it your way and finding your technique that brings out your best work. And achieving that state of vulnerability, I assume, is a very squishy process. And, you know, at, at the top of that answer, you mentioned, you know, assessing the strengths and weaknesses of your clients. And can you give examples of, of weaknesses just so we can like position this in our mind of like how you view a performance and what things you look out for? Absolutely. You know, the, if, if you were going to be a fantastic baseball player, you would have to have a series of tool, uh, tools, a, a skill set, right? That you would be really good at, right? You'd be able to bat really well, pitch really well, or throw really well with precision. You'd be good at running the bases. You know, you'd have your body would be in great shape. You'd be taking care of yourself. You know, acting feels sometimes like it's this big miasma out there that nobody really knows the way it works. And so what I did was I broke it down to there are 10 tools, basically. And those tools are things like, how do you break down a script? How is your imagination working? How do you emotionally prepare? What's your bullshit meter like? Do you have a strong in the moment muscle? How's your memorization skills? How are the memories, which I call the library of your life? And then finally, like, like your identity, like who you are as a person and embracing that and not trying to be what you think 
Hollywood wants you to be, but to truly be who you are, Sam Rockwell, right? Using yourself as yourself and really admitting yourself, Francis McDormand, really being your, your human, vulnerable Viola Davis self, right? Like I'm giving you these people because those are the good ones that know how to do it, right? And they use their, their, their humanity, their vulnerability to be their best. I want to go back to a thing you said earlier about gurus, because I think we know kind of what you mean when you talk about don't, you know, these gurus and the, that style. But like, can you go into more detail? Like, what does it mean to like guru somebody? Like, what are you talking about? Like, are you, is it about like making yourself the celebrity in the situation? Or is it about promising them a certain thing? Like, go into more detail about it. Well, I think there, you know, there are there, there are a history of, of teachers across the, you know, the globe that have, have come into the, even, even in, you know, the, the education systems, you know, professors that want to be guru right? Look up to me. I need you to, my, my status depends on you looking up to me, making me the star of the world. And I know more than anyone. And I know the right answer. And in the world of acting, you know, there, I won't mention names, but there used to be a acting teacher who insisted that when he walked into the room to coach, that he got a standing ovation from his class. <laughs> I mean, is that not the worst nonsense you've it's ever so heard? Tacky. It's so it, you can't even you just squirm when you hear it. Yeah. But they did it for years. And, and it's such a jackass move. Like, it just makes me so nauseous. And then, you know, th there are stories in town. There is, there is an acting coach in Los Angeles today who asks her clients to massage her feet while she coaches. I'm not kidding. And those stories make me just like horrified for the poor actors and, and mystified by the behavior of that coach. So I think that a lot of people get their self-worth out of, you know, maybe they didn't have the acting career that they wanted. So they get their celebrity that they so desire from being this master coach or, and then, so they sort of put themselves above their clients. And I think that's just a profoundly stupid mistake. I mean, I have worked with the same people, some of them for over 20 years, because we have a copacetic working agreement. We work together. This is not me telling you what to do. This is me being your coach that says, I think that was great. I think you missed a little bit here. I'm here for you if you need an emergency. So there is, there seems to be a desire on both sides, right? From the guru. And then you get young actors who want to guru someone, right? Because I think human behavior overall, you guys, and this is, you know, big philosophy moment here, but I think human behavior, right? We've always created kings and queens and popes and, and, you know, icons, right? And so people are essentially afraid because we're essentially just floating on a rock in space and we don't know what's going on and we don't know what we're doing and we're doing the best we can, but we like to have some sort of parental person that can tell us uh, what, what to do and make us safe. Right. So safety is, I think, underlying for, for the clients, the guru, the, the, the master teacher, there's some sort of safety in there. And, and we are kind of bred into that too from the school system, right? Your teachers are always going to be there. And then your professors are the ones that you look up to. And so when you get into acting school, then you're going to look up to that guru. So that's, I think, you know, a bunch of different reasons that collide in kind of a messy situation from my perspective. And I know that the classes that I took with people that wanted to be gurued, I always ended up being really disappointed by my fellow classmates and ultimately by the coach because they were flawed. And the idea of, of not 
acknowledging their own flaws just made me think this is ridiculous. Mm. I want to talk a little bit about onset behavior between directors and actors. The majority of our audience, I would say, are emerging or early career filmmakers, you know, just getting their first or second features off the ground. And I'll, I'll just speak for myself. Like, I'm always worried about saying the wrong thing to an actor. So I'd love to hear from you. Like, what are the things that could be dangerous that a director could or would say that could impact a dr- an actor's performance? Are there any kind of danger zones that we should avoid as directors? Well, yeah, you know, I've actually coached a lot of directors for how to approach actors. And they've been good directors that I've had a good time with. And a lot of them have really appreciated the perspective that I bring to them on how we work as actors. And, you know, not to, to, to make a pitch here for my book, but I think that this is where that would fit in nicely for your audience. If there are young filmmakers out there that wonder about the acting process, my new book, which just came out from Applause Theater and Cinema Books, is called The Actor's Mindset, available wherever you guys want to grab it. But this book is all about what actors go through and, and the acting sort of the overall, the overlay of what actors do. So I think for anybody out there that wants to get an actor's perspective, that would be a good read. But there are some, you know, like majorly difficult things for actors to deal with. And number one is line readings, like do it like this, say it like this is probably the worst thing you can say to an actor, right? Because actors have to find the motivation to say it. They have to know how to. So an untrained actor that can't listen to that and just tries to just be right for the director, because actors basically are, are afraid that they're doing it wrong all the time, right? Like there's, a, there's an element of mystery to this. And is it going to work? Is my performance believable? Am I living truthfully here? Do you believe me? And so when a director comes at you with some sort of direction, like just do it like this, say it like this, like a line reading is probably the biggest mistake you can do for an actor. Get inside the thought process of why they should say it that way. What's inside that? Do you want them to be upset with this person? You know, what if this person, could you try it like a little more pissed off? Can we find some anger in here? You know, or, or you know, you're, you're really hard right now. Can we find some vulnerability? Can you ski it a little differently? Can you give me a couple of different sides to this emotion? You know, don't just one note your performance, you know, things like that and, and taking them aside and doing it privately. And, you know, basically the best question you can ask an actor of any training is, what's your action in the scene? Mm-hmm. Like, what are you doing in this scene? What's your action here? So that we're on the same page. I'm not questioning your action. I just want to know what you have chosen as your action. And then if, if the actor says something that's completely lightweight or not deep enough for you, then you could guide them and say, you know what? How about this for the action? Let's try one your way. That's great. But also, can we try one my way? Because I think the action is this, right? Like, and, and, and the deeper you go into the motivating factors for your normal human being, which are love and fear, right? Those are the big motivators. Like 80% greed comes in third, right? Love, fear, and greed. You put those together, you got 92% of human behavior, right? So if you as a director can come to your actor, to their character with that knowledge of where's the love in here or where's the fear in here, then they're going to start talking and opening up and they're going to reveal their process to you and their thought process. And then you're going to hear where you guys are off sync, right? And then you'll be able to either sync up with them or not sync up with them. You know, I've had times where I've had directors come up to me and be like, you know what, give me, give me, give me more anger here. Like I need anger at a 10 here. 
And I've turned to them and said, okay, I can give you 10 there. But remember, in my next scene, I have to be at a 10 there. So do you want a one note performance or do you want anger at an eight, which is what I'm playing? And I'll give you an eight now and a 10 in the next scene. And every time those, those directors go, oh my God, you're right. You're right. You're right. You, you know, you've thought more about this than I have because I wasn't thinking the arc of the character. They were just thinking of the moment and I want you really angry. But if I've got to be really angry on the next take or in the next scene, pardon me, then you're asking for two scenes in a row with just nothing but rage. And then you get in trouble when you go into your edit. You're like, oh my God, all we got was rage out of this actor. When you could have gotten vulnerability or a buildup to that rage that's coming. You know what I mean? You have to read that behavior. Well, just a quick follow-up to that. When you realize that the direct that you know more than the director, once you figure that out, do you lose respect for the director? I think there's a fear that directors have that an actor will figure out that they know more than the director does and they will lose some sort of like uh, respect or a piece of from my from my school i started to, to, to cut you off from my school of thought and the way i coach my actors is absolutely not i mean to me the director is the storyteller right and the director is also the one that's under the most pressure out of everybody on the set right you've got these spokes of a wheel around you right and all the different departments, costume department, hair department, makeup department, producers behind your back. You've got your writers, you've got your editing crew, you've got your sound crew, you've got your camera crew, and then you've got your actors. So I tell my actors that you are a tool for you. You are simply a tool to be used by this director in the best way. So they won't lose respect. They're there to help you, right? You're there. I, I get my gang to be prepared to work at their very best and to do all the homework they can so they can be their best so that if there is some sort of disagreement with the director, if it happens, that you are so good and know this character so well that you can actually make it work. You can say, yep, I can be angry for you right now, or I can cry for you right now if you need it. I know I have to cry in the next scene. I'll change it when I get there so that I'm, I'm, I'm a tool for you to be the best that you can be. Because directing is the juggler, right? Like they are juggling everything. And if you're a really sharp knife that's too sharp, that's going to cut them, you're going to be a problem, right? So we've talked to a lot of directors who've had different approaches. So some like really, really believe in rehearsal and like they want as much rehearsal time as possible. And then some who are just like, don't give me any rehearsal time. I want it to be spontaneous. I want it to feel raw. Where do you come down on that argument? Do you feel like sometimes rehearsal is good, sometimes it's not? Or do you have a certain opinion on how best to rehearse with actors? Yeah, I think that rehearsal is really important, particularly if you have good actors. If you have good actors that understand that it needs to be fresh on every take. If you have actors that are making appointments in their work, oh, I'm going to cry here. I'm going to laugh here. I'm going to do this here, right? If actors start making appointments, you're in trouble because then then they're not fresh and in the moment, right? So it depends on the actor that you've hired. Overall, actors do great with rehearsal. The more they run it, the better they're going to be. The more they learn the lines, the more the confidence they get. So if you can give them rehearsals overall in general, that's great. Now, if you have a scene that you rewrote last night and you don't have time for rehearsal, then it's going to be very fresh and and the actors are going to be worried about losing their their lines. But that kind of spontaneity of we're we're just going to throw you the lines and say it, you know, that kind of thing. We've rewritten this. We just want you to be fresh with this. We think it's going to be better that way. That's fine as long as your actors are brave and ready for that kind of thing. You know, it's sort of the old tale of Anthony Hopkins and Robert Downey Jr., who both have the same mindset about learning lines. They either overlearn the lines, like I think Anthony Hopkins has been quoted as saying that he runs his lines like 800 times so that they become secondary, right? Like just so that he doesn't. And, and, and RDJ does the same thing. He runs them so deep that he can just be free in front of the camera. Or the flip side, if there's a new scene and I'm coming to work in the morning and there's a brand new scene, 
I'm not going to try to learn it at all so that it can be spontaneous and in the moment, because that's the thing. The camera, right? It picks up the truth. And if you are acting or trying to hit an appointment of any kind in your acting, the camera is going to see it. And that's why we don't like some actors because we feel that it's pre-planned. We feel that it's not authentically in the moment. And then we do love the Violas and the Merrills and the Joaquins because they do nothing but stay right in the moment. Their training is so specific, no matter what their homework has been done, they come in and they stay right on top of the moment, in the moment, discovering in the moment. And that's what we want. That's, that, that's, that's what we as actors and you as directors want from acting is for it to feel spontaneous and alive and right now. And the camera loves that shit because it, it pops. You, you can tell when it's organic. You can see an organic thought process coming into it. And so there's, there's a level there that rehearsal for good actors, great idea. Actors that are going to make appointments, not a good idea. In terms of making set a comfortable, safe space, you know, Alric and I are micro-budget filmmakers at this point. We're going to deal with millions and trillions of dollars in the future. But right now, we work with smaller resources. And so we can't afford double banger trailers and you can't afford like sushi lunches or whatever. What? I'm out of here. <laughs> so it's like, are there ways that productions, producers, directors, whoever it is, whoever may be listening to this advice that you're dispensing, can do something to make actors feel special and protected and secure on set that don't cost money? Absolutely. And it's really easy. Talk to them before you get there, right? Have a meeting and be really honest and say, here's our situation. Here's how much we do have. Here much, here's what we don't have. You're going to be sharing, your, you know, like get, talk to your actors beforehand and let them know what they're, what they're walking into. And then also ask them, is there anything you need from me? You know, are you vulnerable in a certain way? Do you want me to give you space all day long? Do you want to listen to your music and your, you know, like what is the best way for you to work? How can I best help you be your best? That conversation, actors are so hungry for that because they very rarely get it. And so if you're working with an actor and, you know, take, to take all your actors and, you know, a half hour phone call with each of them, giving them that love before you get to set would make a cast be up behind you. They'll walk to, you know, through the Sahara for you with that seriously. And then of course, you know, the basics of just, you know, cleanliness and, and a nice place to go to the bathroom and, you know, uh, cold water or water in general, like any of the basics, of course we want that. But if we know in advance that you've already thought about us and our well-being, you'll have us. Like we'll be, we'll be, be behind you a hundred, hundred percent. So I don't know if this is an answerable question, but I'm, I, I always think about actors as these magical creatures who can reach a place of vulnerability that normal humans cannot, right? Like it's like kind of amazing what actors can do either on stage or, you know, on a film set or whatever. So the question is, do you feel like people have this inborn in them? Like there's certain people who have this ability to act and like it's, it's like sharpening that ability or do you feel like anybody at all can learn the techniques to become a great actor if they just put the time and the focus and the work in? Great question and very layered to answer this properly. So forgive me if I get lost in my maze of thoughts that's going on, that are going on. You know, yes, there are people that are absolutely naturally talented and they walk in and they, they're gifted with it, right? Like singers, right? That can just open their mouth from the time they're born and out, out pours Aretha Franklin, right? I mean, that, that's amazing when people have that born talent. And so, of course, there are those people that have that. The instinct, the drive to be a storyteller is what we share, right? All of us. 
in the entertainment industry, right? We're all called to the storytelling. And I think that anybody that's called to storytelling in that way, not to be a celebrity, not to be famous, not to be a millionaire with two Oscars on their mantle, right? <clears throat> that silliness that a lot of young actors can get wrapped up in. Anybody that's truthfully brought in from the storytelling gene that we share, that they want to, I have found that anybody with that desire can get better and get better and get better as actors. Some of them get better and some of them naturally have difficulties either with their own confidence or insecurities or, you know, certain technical or, or intellectual. And it's not intellectual, it's more psychological issues about being in front of audiences or allowing the camera to see you and being brave enough to let your ugly show, right? Like the best actors let their ugly show, you know, the thing I've been saying all week here is like, where's the barf? It's been kind of a joke, but <laughs> like, where, where's the barf gang? Show me that because good acting is about bringing it out of yourself, right? Like bringing up your heart. So I have had beautiful moments in the studio where I have young actors that I thought when I first met them, well, I don't know, let's see what I can do. And then they listen to me and we find their way into the vulnerable places and they crack and open. And man, that's as good as walking a red carpet with Constance Wu. You know what I mean? Like that is <laughs> seriously, like that is, it is magical when, when, it, when a young actor finds that moment where they break open and they understand how the heart works and how the vulnerability works and how they can bring that to the character and blossom that character. Dude, there, I, I, there's gorgeous moments that, you know, people will have never seen and sadly will never see that I've witnessed that are just beautiful. So I never say never. And I also let my clients that are having a rougher time get in and let them make the decision to pull themselves out of the career. Because I think that as a storyteller, you might not make it as an actor, but you might be a beautiful writer and, and you might be a fantastic director or producer, or you might, you might find some other place in our storytelling community where you do fit in. And I saw so many people get broken dreamed in New York City at, at, the, at the schools and, and classes that I went to. I mean, they were really, really violently mean to people. And that was the old school way of working, right? The old school acting coach was like, what the fuck are you doing here? Get the fuck out of here. I don't want to see anything. But you know, they were tough. And so there were a lot of people that I saw get their little art hearts broken. And that always hurt me because I was like, damn, you know, they had an art heart. Like, let's encourage that art heart. Who knows what voice we just lost because they were told something nasty. So yeah, that's that's my take on it. I don't know. I'm 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 now deep in my own maze. So you guys can pull me out. <laughs> I wrote down art heart. <laughs> well, the art heart, the art heart is a big thing, right? It's the, it's the thing that we all share. Those of us that are, are storytellers, and that's the communication. That's what we always groove on when we meet each other, right? Because we can we can sense that and we feel that, and that's the thing that makes a great class. And that's the the thing that makes people on a, a community on a film set work together is the community art heart that there is, right? And if people are running around all, being all egotistical and blocking their art heart, you got to get those people to chill out and let us see some vulnerability and let the art heart come through because that's where the best work comes from for anybody, cinematographer, writer, you know, whatever, whatever department, art department, whatever department you're in, right? Probably even catering. <laughs> I haven't dealt with, and I've only dealt with one quote unquote difficult actor. And I think that's, you know, who knows what was this, the core of that. But when I described the situation to someone else, they said, well, that actor was insecure. And I, again, I don't know if that's true either, but they were working with talent who was a little bit more veteran than they were. And it was a lot to put on their shoulders. So I guess I'd love to hear 
how do you tackle insecurity as as a performer or as a director or as a producer or as a writer? How can you identify that without embarrassing or making making the actor uncomfortable in that moment? Right. Well, the first word that came to me was they were insecure. But just before you even said oh, it, it was it was very yeah. clear that they were insecure. Right. Like that. That usually is where that kind of behavior comes from. Deep insecurity can show up as diva behavior or whatever. And the first answer is homework. Right. If they haven't done their homework, then usually that's where they're vulnerable because they know that they haven't done enough homework. And so they're trying to cover up the fact that they haven't done the homework. So again, we go back to the pre phone call, right? Like the meeting with the director three weeks before you shoot is really important that you're on the same page about this character, where they're coming from. So, and, and then, you know, you're being available to them. Any questions, there's no stupid questions. Anything you want to talk about, I'm available. I've got your back. I will catch you. Actors need to know that they're safe. They need to know that they're in a safe space because they're vulnerable. They have to crack open and show you their vulnerability. And if they're feeling attacked or if they're feeling judged or, or anybody is making fun of them, that, that kind of stuff, man, that can really cripple an actor in a second, right? So that's why I don't allow auditors to come into my classroom, right? That I, because the second someone strange comes into a room, suddenly thing, everything changes and you're not safe, right? And particularly in an acting class, you want to have that, that safety for vulnerability. And if you can, on a set, create that kind of safety. And you know, it just comes down to the people that are around you, right? It comes up down to the makeup people that are doing last touches, the costume people that are taking last looks, and your DP crew, right? Like your, 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 the, the, the camera department, they're all there. Sound people that are kind and gentle. Like it's all, let's do the best we can to support these actors so that they can do their best work, right? And so if everybody's on the same page and everybody's had that kind of guiding talk from the guy that's, or the lady that's running the show, right? The, the, the director, it's their show, it's their movie, it's a film by them, right? And so if we all are, are in a collective group of the same mindset, which comes from the top down, we're going to be fine. Now, once they've gotten their backup, absolutely remove them from the situation, get, get into a trailer, get down a hallway, go for a walk, tell everybody to take a 10 minute break, go for a walk and talk with them and calm them down. Tell them why they got the part because you believe in them. I tell them what you saw in them that got them the part that you believe that they are this character and that they can bring that. And if their vulnerabilities are overwhelming them or they're feeling unprotected, ask them, is there anything I can do for you or anything at all? Do you need to go and run the lines with me for five minutes in, in, in the trailer? We can do that and, and get into it. So you feel that there's bad behavior between actors. I won't name any names, but there can be some really shitty behavior from some actors to another, right? People can undermine each other. With their performances, people talk down to each other. People walk off the stage so that you have to act with an, uh, a green X on the wall, right? Like, like bad behavior exists. And all the time, the more the director is aware of that actor's situation, the more you can be helpful to their vulnerability. Yeah. So in a similar question, on, but on a different side of things, what are some advice for like directors who might be working with really experienced actors who are maybe even a celebrity, like, a, like let's say Brad Pitt or something. And you're sure. like a, a young director, like you haven't done a lot of stuff and like you happen to have this opportunity to work with this amazing actor and you don't get a chance to talk to them beforehand. You don't get a chance to do any prep. They just come to your set and you got to go. Like, what are some of the things that you can do to like really like earn their trust and, you know, let them know that you know what you're doing and that you like, you're not going to let them down and embarrass them and whatever, all those things. You guys are going to hate my answer, but I've got to say it. Read my book. 
<laughs> I hate it. I'm sorry, but my book, my, my book answers what your, what your question is. Like it really does. And it answers it in 200 pages. You know what I mean? So yeah. what, and what I'm saying is the more you, the director can know about the acting process, the better you'll be at handling any actor, whether they're a beginner that is stumbling and trembling because they're insecure or whether they are a star that walks on the set. Now, if you're going to get a star and to work with, I mean, that sounds like a, a terrible situation, right? You want to have some first meeting, but under those circumstances, those stars are going to know what the method is. They are, they're going to have their own method and their way of working their way in. And there are simple questions that you can ask an actor to get them to talk to you from their preparation, right? Simple motivational questions. The five big motivational questions for everybody out there that wants to get a pen. Here you go. Write them down. <laughs> Number one is what's my overall objective? Number two is what is my action in the scene? Number three is what do I want? Number four is what do I need? And number five is what am I looking for in the other actor's eyes? Mm -hmm. Those five motivational questions, you ask an actor of any caliber, any one of those questions. Now, the two most important to me from my mindset are what's my action? Because if an actor doesn't know what they're doing, then they're not doing anything. And acting is doing. And unless it's just a celebration scene or unless it's a walk-up or a drive-by, even in a walk-up or a drive-by, people are on their way home or they're on their way to something, right? So there's an action. They're in action. So the, the number one question is, what's my action in the scene? If an actor only gives you a very simplified, oh, I'm just going in to sit down. Well, that's a physical action, but that's not the deep, you know, I'm going in to get some fucking rest, whatever it is, right? That's better than just going in to sit down. You want the actor to have the deepest answer they can possibly have. So you can help them. You can dig around and say, okay, great. I, I like that. But how about this? How about this? How about, and then go into the things that motivate people, which I said before are fear and love and greed, right? If you can find your way in, then that's going to be the way into it. Have I answered the question? I'm so, I'm so, I'm so I mean, having we so both took I, notes, I, I think so. so I think yeah, I'm, I'm having so much fun that I'm, I've lost myself. But that, that most important one is what's my action, right? And the second most important is what am I looking for in the other actor's eyes? And how that is important is, and that's a real, to be, you know, Frank, that's an Archibaldism. That's the one that I came up with from my acting career because I used to watch myself when I was working right? And then I learned the lesson of don't watch yourself, watch the other actor, listen and watch the other actor. If you make the scene about the other actor, your, your work gets exponentially better because you're not watching yourself. You're not worried about yourself. You're not worried about being right or doing it right. You're then doing the job of being the character because people in life, we don't generally watch ourselves. I mean, the three of us are all here together, maybe on this Zoom call, watching ourselves a little bit, but I'm not watching me. I'm watching you guys for your reactions, right? Because in life we do, we watch people for their responses. We can see in, in a blink what people are thinking or feeling. Like it, we, can, we can anticipate where someone's going. So if an actor is really stuck in their head and watching themselves, if they make the scene all about the other actor, and it should be, the scene should always be about the other actor. Because in human behavior, that's the way that humans work, right? When, when, when any human interaction, the number one thing you're doing is an action, but you're also looking to that person to see what the response is. That's human psychological basics. And if we're going to be humans on camera, then we have to live with human psychological basics, right? So it's really simple to do. But those two questions, they can ground an actor, even if they haven't done any homework whatsoever. Ulrich, I have to bring up the acting class that I went to now because I please, feel like it's do. being directly called out <laughs> this answer. Okay. Awesome. So awesome. both Ulrich and I are former actors in the sense of like high school and things like that. And I used to really, really want to be an actor like uh, to a to a an irrational degree. 
and I had whatever. I, there's a whole backstory to it. But I walked away from it and became a director. Just a few months ago, I decided to take my first acting class in like 10 years. It took up, gathered a lot of confidence, gathered a lot of bravery. And it didn't go well in that the teacher fourth a strategy for performance that I, I didn't understand. And I'd be curious what your response is. The tenets I remember are don't look in the other actor's eyes. Don't use your personal emotional memory or history. You always want to look inscrutable because humans are inscrutable and they're all, there isn't always an objective for what you're doing. I'm trying to think of, of, of what other elements were. Very, don't prepare. You know, I mean, there was a lot of like, I had spent a lot of time in my bedroom preparing and memorizing a scene. And he actually very much encouraged you not to prepare and go over it. And anyway, I think you're getting a sense of what I experienced. I'd be curious what your response was to that. Okay. I'm sorry that that happened to you. (laughs) That's my first response. And, but I think I know where this comes from. So maybe that will help you understand where that comes from. So Stanislavski, right? He was the guy, right? He ran the Moscow Arts Theater. He just, he started in in 1898 and he wanted to create a new kind of theater. And it just happened to be at that moment in history when psychology and sociology and human behavior were beginning, psychoanalysis was starting to be, right? And, and he traveled around Europe and talked to a lot of people and he was a really smart man. And he said, I want to create a new kind of theater because theater at that time was very big, over the top, big faces, big masks, big because they had no amplification. They had no microphones. They had to speak out to crowds. You know, theater was huge. And we see the remnants of that in the early silent films, right? The acting being all over the top with big eyes and big makeup, Charlie Chaplin with the mascara, right? We see that as remnants in, in the silent films. And it slowly over the years of film goes away, right? That bigness of acting. Well, Stanislavski figured out this beautiful method, right? He called it the Stanislavski system, which we changed to the American method and it became Americanized. But there's a tree, it's the tree of Stanislavski, right? And so all of the people that teach Stanislavski or learned it through a guy named Richard Boleslavski, who was in Stanislavski's company and brought it over to the United States. Boleslavski brought it over and he basically taught the, the founding members of the group theater. And the group theater was the first theater company in America to use the um, Stanislavski system. And that's when they changed it to the American method. And it became this method of acting. And most of those actors started to teach the method to their friends that wanted to learn it. And they became the big teachers. And that is Lee Strasberg, Sandy Meisner, Uta Hagen, Stella Adler, Herbert Burkhoff, Bobby Lewis. All the people that created the great schools in New York are the people that we're talking about. And all of them were group theater members. So they are part of the tree of Stanislavski. They're the branches, right? So off of, off of all of those trees, off of all of those teachers, you're going to get a variety of approaches to the work to try to do what Stanislavski basically wanted us to do, which I think Meisner put beautifully, which is to live truthfully under the imaginary circumstances, right? That's our job. That's the Sandy Meisner quote. And, and so basically, that's what we want to do, live truthfully under the imaginary circumstances. That's a great description of what acting is, right? Mm-hmm. Now, within that world, in all those branches, there could be people that said, oh, I don't want to be specific about 
I, I know working just from my past doesn't work for me. I want to work from my imagination or I want to work from what's in my life right now, right? And so you'll get teachers, Sandy Meisner taught us that we could only use our imagination because Lee Strasberg had forced them in the group theater to only use their past. And so they were digging up their past and they were miserable. And Stella Adler went to Paris to walk with Stanislavski while he was recovering from an operation in around 1935, 1936. And she told him, we're miserable because we're just digging up our past. And Stanislavski said, oh no, that's a big mistake. Use anything. Use your imagination, use the present, use a picture, use a song, use poetry, use anything at all that gets you connected to the truth of what the character is going through. Get the character's truth inside you, then pick up the script and use that, right? So what you experienced there was a teacher that had come through one of the trees, one of the strange branches of that tree, right? That, and it sounds to me like they were specifically wanting it to be present and in the moment with no planning and going for the spontaneity that we were just talking about earlier, right? That they think that the best work comes from spontaneity. Because the problem for a lot of young actors is they want to make appointments in their work. And when they make appointments, appointments are the death of acting. If you say, I'm going to laugh here or cry there or scream here, and even worse, the writer puts in parentheses, she screams, he laughs, right? So you feel like you have an appointment there, right? What we do is we say, thank you, writer, for giving me the stakes for my character at that moment. If I laugh, then clearly the stakes are not that high. If I cry, then clearly the stakes are higher. And if I yell, then clearly I'm upset about it. But I'm not going to do it your way. Thank you. I'll do it my way. That was your way of creating it. I know what you want. I'm going to go into my world. I'm going to create the reality as best I can. And then in the moment, let it be whatever it is. We always want that sense of freedom. Now, this teacher sounds like they were going for the freedom without giving you the underneath. And I think that's the, that's the mistake that they made was that they weren't giving you like, and don't look in the eyes. Well, that comes from, you know, the mistake that some actors make is that they do sort of eye fucking, I call it, right? It's like, oh my God, I'm, I'm looking at you and I'm not going to not look at you. I'm just, I'm terrified and we're just going to stay here, which is not human, right? Yeah. But if a human being wants something, if they have an action and there is no human behavior where there isn't an action and a need, you guys, even if you order Starbucks, you have an action of getting a refreshing beverage and you have a need for them to spell your name right on the cup. You know what I mean? Like there's, <laughs> there's no matter what it is, let alone the fact that you're checking in with, with your mother to make sure she, she's okay, or let alone you're being accused of murder or let alone the drug dealers about to rape you, like, you know, like whatever it is. And we write dramas about heightened moments in people's lives. So you have to be able to give the actor the time to access the truth for them of what that would mean, right? And yes, we can jump from our brain right away, but maybe there's truths that are beautiful that you can find inside. So at my studio, I say, use whatever works for you. And every artist is different. Any coach that comes down and says, this is the only way you can do it is making a mistake in my mind. And that includes Mr. Strasberg, who said we could not use our imagination. And Mr. Meisner, who said we could not use our past. And they said that because they had egos and they didn't like each other. So you have this whole wing of acting teachers that only say, use your memory. And you have this other wing of acting teachers that say, only use your imagination. And then there was the wonderful Harold Guskin acting coach in New York for years, who I worked with in New York, who was wonderful and said, only use what's in your present moment. Mm. Right. And I love Harold, but that wasn't right either. And I loved Sandy. And I, but going back to the master, Stanislavski said, use whatever works. 
So that's where something like that comes from. Don't use a history. That makes no sense to me. I mean, you're, you're playing a character. The character has to have a history. <laughs> no objective. That's just nonsense. And don't prepare. I'm sorry. You're going to get crap work if we Wait. don't get any. <laughs> I, have to, I have to add. So one of the actors, I thought it was the best actor of the scenes that I had saw that day. One of the actors asked him a question and he said, well, you know, what's my objective? I'm, I'm having trouble figuring out the objective. And the teacher said, your objective is to book the part. Oh, God. Your objective is to book the, the job. Well, and I, I think that was the most offensive of all the things. Oh, that's, so. that's just mm-hmm. wrong. I'm sorry, but that's just so wrong. Look, like that's the worst thing you, you can say to an actor. Honestly, that's just the worst thing. I tell my actors, do not like, look, the job of an actor is to be the character. It's not the job of, of an actor to be a good actor. It's not the job of an actor to be pretty, funny, smart sexy, right? It, none of that. None of that. That's, that's the outcome. That's the outcome. You've got to be in, in the heart of the character before you begin. And so telling an actor, your objective is to get the job. What are they going to be thinking when they're in the audition room? Get the job, get the job, get the job. And that's not there. That's not going to help them. That's going to fuck them up. What they have to do is be the character and, and, and do everything they can. A history, motivation, ask the questions, get inside. Who is this person and why do they behave the way they do? And if they get inside there, then they're going to go into the room. Look, it's so crazy that he said that. Like, and I know that there are a lot of people out there that say those kind of things. And it's just damaging to, to, to a young actor. You know, when a costume designer comes to meet the director, they're coming with the hopes of booking the work probably, but they're not thinking, I have to, my job here is to book the job. No, a good costume designer comes in and says, hi, Mr. Scorsese. I read the script. I loved it. Thank you for my meeting. Here's my take on what the clothes I think the people in this time and place would be wearing. Here's my, here's my take on it, right? The props master, the art, the art designer would go in and say, hi, uh, Mr. Scorsese, thank you for the meeting. Here's my take on the world that we could create that would make the world of your movie. Here's the lighting. Here's the, here's the color schemes. Here's what I see it to be, right? So when actors go in and they focus on, I just need the part, I just need the part, I just need the part, what kind of response is Scorsese going to have except for get the fuck out of here? Right. Mm-hmm. But, it, but if the actor comes in and does their job of being the character and relaxes and is the character, then casting says, awesome. That's fantastic. We're looking for that. We're looking for truthful behavior. Thank you. And the worst you'll get is a callback. You might book it, but at least you'll win the room because you'll be bringing your heart, your vulnerability, and most importantly, the character to life, mm-hmm. right? And from your original perspective, not doing exactly what the writer wrote. Many young actors make that mistake of, oh, I have to do it the way the writer wrote. Yeah. You don't. You have to bring in the character. So I know we're close to time here, but do we have, can I ask one more question? Do we have, sure. can we go over a little over three, Liz? Is that cool with you? It's fine with me if it's okay with Okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm having a great time. <laughs> So just to kind of go into auditioning, because it's such an important part of being an actor and it's such a crazy, insane thing. You know, it's so hard to to go into audition. And as a, a filmmaker, it's really hard to, you know, pick from all the auditions and go through the process. So I guess, you know, what are some tips and some, some I, like some things you can do as an actor going into an audition that like will help you not, not necessarily book the role, but do put your best foot forward to like, you know, give yourself the best shot. The number one thing is you have to tell yourself to fuck off. <laughs> you do. You have to tell yourself to fuck off, right? Because who's going to be your worst enemy in the audition? You, your brain coming in, telling you that you were wrong, listening to the, oh, the casting director's texting. Oh, the producer is writing something on the back of my headshot. Oh no. Oh fuck. I, I missed that line. Oh, I, I, and all. 
right? All the negative voices that are going to come out of you are going to fuck you up. And it's not your job to be there. You aren't supposed to be there. Your job, again, is to be the character, right? So doing whatever it is that you have to do and finding your approach, that's why I say every actor has to have their approach instead of doing the Meisner technique or the Strasberg approach or the Stanislavski. Stanislavski said it. Stanislavski said it in this book. He said, don't slavishly follow my rule system. Find your way to work. So each actor has to know how they can be their best. And so going into the room, for me, the number one thing you can do is get rid of yourself and just go with the character as you know them to be. And then never get caught acting, right? Because we don't want acting. We want truthful human behavior. So if you are supposed to be crying at some point and it's not there because your homework didn't pinch somehow and, you're, and you aren't a strong actor at this point where you can produce those tears in, in that moment and somehow you're, you've been thrown off by the banging outside or the dog under the casting director's table is, is whining, whatever is throwing you off. And those are true stories, by the way, that, that have ha- happened to my, my actors. You've got to take everything and make it make you better. Right. And the practice of taking everything and making you make you better is something that that grows on you as you go through it. So you take any negatives that are going on and you use them. And at worst, you just be honest. At the very worst, just be honest. And if your if your tank happens to be empty today, okay, let go. Don't push and squeeze and pull. Because if you let go, one of two things is going to happen. Either if you relax and let your tummy go and you're not squeezing, one of two things is going to happen. One, your homework's going to show up because you relaxed and what was blocked is now open and all of a sudden this wave of homework will show up. Or two, you're going to be really embarrassed because you're a fucking awful actor. And that is a true feeling. And you can take feeling shitty and put it into your work and it'll make you real because you feel shitty about how bad an actor you are. And at least you'll be working from something truthful and maybe get a laugh unexpectedly from the table because you said something completely different from everybody else. And all of a sudden you're a genius because you said that line completely differently than anybody else because you were just mad at yourself because you fucked up. Right. So that's my very short answer. It's, it's a long, I could go on for hours on that one, but there's some short highlights for you. All right. I have one more question, but I feel like you have another question too. So. No, no, you, you go. That, that was good for me. Okay. That was nice. I guess my final question is I'm, I'm very attracted to the world of being a director who says to an actor, you do your job. I hired you to do your job. And then just letting it go. And I would say, I guess my question to you is like, is that allowed? And how much do I need to be accountable for answers to an actor's questions? Like, what answers do I need to have as a director? Is it answers to those five questions you're, you've laid out earlier in the show? Or can I always just say, I'm looking for the truth. I'm looking for what's real. And everything else is, is on you. Look, I agree with you, right? Like, I, th- I think that that is, uh, that's my, my mindset as well. But I know that there are many actors that come into a situation, not my actors, because I teach them to think our way. But there's a lot of actors that come in expecting a director to direct them. And that's a big misunderstanding. And it comes from the theater, right? Because in the theater, you have three or four weeks of rehearsal, sometimes two, but you have rehearsal where you get into it with the director and you talk about it and you want to hear from the director. In film and and, and television, it's a whole different world. Directors don't have time for that, right? And so it's it's a different animal than the theater. And so actors that are coming from a theater training 
conservatory or a theater university program, those people that are coming in with that mentality of, oh, I'm going to work with the director, you have to identify those actors quickly and say, that's not how I'm working. That's not, I'm not that kind of director. I, I hired you to do that work. And I trust that the work you do is going to be beautiful. And if it isn't beautiful, I will be there. Now, if you have a significant question that you feel is important to me, I will absolutely answer that. Just like I would the art department. If is this the right cream? No, it's too creamy. We want it more pale. Okay, great. Right. Like that's a question that you're going to answer, right? So uh, you want to be available for those really significant questions, but you also don't want to do the work for them because that's why you've hired them, right? There is a fantastic Francis Lee who directed God's Own Country, British British director, and just did a beautiful movie with Kate Winslet that I'm forgetting the name of. But this guy, Francis Lee, I just love him because he works with his actors months in advance and meets with them on a weekly basis and gets them to work on their backstories and starts early in their life and says, okay, in this next week, you're going to write out what happened to your character between the ages of five and 10. And now next week, you're going to work with from 10 to 15 and 15 to 20. And he gets his actors to write these huge histories behind them right up to the moment where they meet on set and where they're going to start. So these actors have a full life behind them before they start. And Josh O'Connor, who I'm a real fan of, this great British actor, was the star of God's Own Country. He says that it was the best prep he ever had. Like he, he's like, that was just fantastic prep because it was, he was reading every week to the director his homework and the director was listening and saying, yes, no, but, you know, and being with him on the trip and, and guiding him. Now, sometimes we don't have that time and luxury. Okay. But maybe you can do a smaller version of that. Of that. Or actually, I think we do the final six questions, but maybe a rapid fire rounds. Sure. Sure. Okay. Rapid fire. Craig, I know you were a little bit nervous about this. Oh, I'm so, I, this, is the, this makes me so nervous. Like, okay, what's coming? What's coming? I'm ready. <laughs> oh, this is interesting. I don't know how to adapt this. What's the first character you ever played and how do you feel about that character now? Wow. The first character I ever played, I was four years old and I played Peter Rabbit and I love him. <laughs> love him. I'm all about Peter. What's the best acting advice you've ever received? Philip Seymour Hoffman. We were having lunch and I said, Phil, what would you tell my young actors? And he took me seriously, which surprised me at first, but he really took me seriously. And he said, don't be afraid to think. Mm. Great advice. If you look at his performances, he always takes the time to think things through. Now on TV, we don't always have the time to do that. But in film, that's terrific film acting advice. What's the worst acting advice you've ever received or heard? Don't look anybody in the eyes. <laughs> it's bad, right? It's a bad oh, advice. Oh, really bad. Yeah. Get the part. Your job is to get the part. Worst advice ever. <laughs> do you have a goal as an actor or, or as an acting teacher? Oh, I've got a, I've got a book of goals. <laughs> I, you know, I, I just love our art form so much. You know, I love storytelling. So I guess my, my big goal is to assist my fellow artists in their journey to be the best they can be. And I hope that I still get the opportunity in my acting career and my writing career to dig as deeply as I can into my heart and, and, and vulnerabilities to bring forth a performance that I'm really proud of. If you could go back in time, what piece of advice would you give your younger self? Don't party as hard as you did. Because I was a New York actor and we partied a lot because we were New York actors. And I also come from like the 70s and 80s when cocaine was cool, you know? And, and, and that was, you know, that was sort of, you know, everybody did it on set because they all did it on set in the 80s, right? Until the horrible accident, which killed Vic Morrow, right? Oh my God. There was a helicopter accident on set of- On Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone, right? Yeah. That was the moment that it ended, right? But, but up until that time, you know, anything 
drinking was very popular at lunch on Hollywood sets all through the early days of Hollywood. And then, you know, that became marijuana, you know, uh, and then it became cocaine. And so I grew up in a world of, oh, actors can party and get away with it. And it's fun and all that stuff. So I did a bit of extra partying, you know, in New York that I wish that I'd, I'm glad I stopped when I did, but I wish I'd done it maybe 10 years earlier, you know, and, and maybe put a stop on it a little bit more because it really works against you. You know, it really makes it harder to get up in the morning and write your new play or do the thing that you need to do and be there. So yeah, I'd, I'd say just party a little less. Last question. Is making movies hard? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> if people don't understand that. Look, here's the first big misconception, particularly by actors, is that people think it's glamorous. And as you and I know, it is grunt labor. It's blue collar labor, right? There is not a person on a film set at the end of the day that isn't physically exhausted because everybody's been standing on their feet or running around all day. I mean, it is grunt work. It is not glamorous and, and it is very difficult. It's very difficult to make a film good. And, and it's very difficult to write a good movie, to act in a good movie, to produce a good film. I mean, all of the layers of, of what happens, there is a tremendous amount of work that has to go into the wor work of creating something that is quality. It's difficult. Please plug your book. How can, I mean, you said it earlier, but remind people how they can find you and, and support you and, and learn more. Thank you so much, Liz and Ulrich. You guys are awesome. My book is called The Actor's Mindset. And it is, my name is Craig Archibald. You can either go to my website, www.thearchibaldstudio.com, or you can just plug into Amazon or Barnes and Nobles and punch in Craig Archibald, The Actor's Mindset, and it'll pop up. Liz, what do you remember about our talk with Craig? I love this conversation. And <laughs> and I was so, I really do. I must be like Pollyanna this week because I really loved like so many of our recent conversations with, get, with guests. I don't think I mentioned this to you, but I went to Craig's website after we talked. I think I said something at the end of the chat, like, mm, I'm going to look into classes with you. And he and I are talking about me coming by and doing a private coaching session so that I can get over this, this crazy stage fright that I have and these issues I have with performing. And I... I haven't done it yet. <laughs> it's been months and I've been, it's been starred in my inbox. So Craig, if you're listening, I really do want to come. I'm just a little scared, but that's how inspired I was by him. I just think he seems like a nice, supportive coach who can help you reconnect and develop your love of performing into something really productive and potentially professional. I think he's great. Auric, what did you think? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this conversation. I wasn't really sure what to expect from an acting coach conversation. I was like, okay, are they going to like talk about breathing and ma 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 and all this stuff? Like, am I going to care? And then, you know, what he actually talked about, I think was very, very useful for all filmmakers because it was talking about like, like what actors go through, the actor's experience, like what actors uh, are, are learning and going through as they become actors and as they're getting into this and like kind of how he guides them and like what he works on with actors. And, you know, it was a lot. There was also a lot of stuff about directors working with actors and how best to work with actors. So yeah. I think for directors, this is actually a really great episode. And I think everyone can learn a lot from this, which I did. You know, I actually took notes <laughs> during this one too. Me too. Me too. Yeah. We, yeah. We both, uh, you were talking about taking notes. I was like, yeah, I'll take notes too. So yeah, I really, really liked Craig a lot. And I kind of like, it was sort of like showing, showing me like the value of an acting coach and like what they should be all doing is like what Craig does. Like this okay. should be what you're getting out of an acting coach experience. Like unlike <laughs> the thing that you did, which we talked about on the show, which is like, couldn't be more the opposite of this. <laughs> And it was like, I guess I've been thinking, Liz, this is what you were looking for. You should take this class. This is what you should do. 
<laughs> it's on my to-do list every single day. It just says the name Craig. And every day I move Craig's name to the next day. This has been months. So Craig, I'm, I'm looking to complete this item on my to-do list. This is a good reminder. <laughs> I'm going to sign up for this class. Yeah, maybe after your birthday. After yeah. the glorious, glorious day. Birthday present. Happy birthday, by the way. I know Thank it's you. like, you know, it's early now and it's late later, but, uh, you know, anyways, I had to, had to sneak it in there. Thank you. So it's time, Liz. It's time for another episode of the game. <laughs> This time, I get to ask a question. I got asked, asked questions twice in a row just because of a little bit of a mix-up sort of situation. But I, I just read the question that you sent me, which is not the question that you were asked. So this, or you asked me. So I feel like we're in really good shape here. And hopefully you didn't already read this. Which I don't no, think you did. No, didn't read it. Okay. And for people who may be listening for the first time, Eric Toms, our wonderful producer, invented this game, which is really fun. It's like a challenge for indie filmmakers to like, you're in this situation, like, what do you do? And like, Liz is being asked this question blind. She has not read this before. She has not heard this before. This is the first time. So it's going to be like on the spot. How do you solve this problem? So here we go. You are on day two of 20 of a 20-day teen summer romance comedy shoot. So day two of 20 on a teen summer romance comedy shoot, which sounds right up your alley. Yeah. <laughs> you and the rest of the cast crew are filming on location in Daytona Beach. You wake up to a phone call telling you that a freak storm destroyed two of your three sets. The sets destroyed are an outdoor concert venue on the beach and a sailboat that was to be used for the climax of the film. The set that was saved is a building with an apartment on the top floor and a hamburger stand on the ground floor. The damaged sets can be rebuilt, but it'll take weeks, leaving you with only five of the original 17 shoot days. To make matters worse, it's forecasted to rain for the next two weeks in Daytona. What do you do, director? What do you do? Eric likes to ask us questions about sets being taken away from us and time being taken away from us. <laughs> so I'm noticing yes. some trends in these in these questions. Okay. So my immediate inclination is to move things indoors. That seems the most safe situation, right? Like if your sets are being destroyed, if weather is inconsistent or dangerous, you don't want electronics outside of the rain. You don't want to like risk, you know, like, oh, maybe there's a break in the weather. Let's sneak outside and then come back in. No, I think the idea is to rewrite the climax and any remaining scenes to be indoor scenes or undercover. He does say it's a teen summer rom-com, which makes me think... And said in Florida, which makes me think that the beach is a big part of it. But because he didn't say it's like a beach musical, I think we're okay. I think we could just move <laughs> things indoors. And so I would try to find really bright, saturated, expansive, large sets with a lot of sparkle. What I'm saying, like a lot of like not 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 just like four different colored walls, but some really, really interesting indoor locations to move things into, like in a black light mini golf location, or I don't know, just something weird and visually dynamic to make up for the fact that we're not doing something on the water or something outside that has the potential to be really exciting and natural and beautiful. So yeah, I would just move everything indoors, but I would do something to identify that location as visually unique unique so that we up our production value because I think it sounds like moving indoors feels like a less exciting option. What would you do? Yeah, so I feel like I would I would definitely move indoors as well, obviously, but I, I would probably like and I think you meant this maybe, or this was like, you know, insinuated in your answer, but like real locations. So, right. So like kind of forget yeah. the idea of like rebuilding sets or making sets, but like find a 
actual places that yes. you can shoot that are like available to you for for those you know it's what it's 12 remaining days that you have to fill because you're gonna get your sets no, back 18 remaining days. days you're on day two of 20 right yeah but oh but he says you have you'll have five of the original remaining 17 shoot days or something he says like so oh, the, the sets God. can be real we be, we be rebuilt but it'll take weeks right so like what i would probably do is like yeah find the interior locations and then the, the time and energy that we would use rebuilding the sets i would focus on building new sets that would fit the the new locations mm-hmm. so it would be like okay well we're gonna restructure the movie to take place like in these interior locations like find an interior concert setting you know and then for the sets that we are gonna have on the beach then like that's gonna be a smaller part of the movie and then they'll be rebuilt in a different way in order to like fulfill the new needs of the story because like things will obviously have to be rewritten you know in order to accommodate for the interior locations so i'm pretty much stealing your answer but then like adding in like a little bit of uh you know like let's let's utilize that set time in a different way like let's not just rebuild what we already had like but let's try to take that Right. That time to rebuild other things. And maybe the build time won't take as long if, you know, you're you're thinking about other stuff. So maybe you'll actually buy yourself some more time um, on the beach if you, like, rethink of your sets in different ways. And, like, maybe they, they fill different purposes in the movie than they did originally, you know. So I would kind of think about it that way. The, the problem about this is, like, you're, you don't have time, right? Because yeah. you're on day two. You're already in the shoot. So, like, you have to, like, think about all this, like, in the downtime in between your shoot, your shoot days. Unless, like, let's say you were planning to shoot your day three like on one of the sets that was destroyed then you have to like okay well we obviously have to take a a down day to like you know everyone has to get paid you lose x amount of budget but like you use that day to like basically work with your writer or if you don't have a writer like just with your producer by yourself to like restructure the whole thing with what you have because any any problem can be solved by writing (laughs) that's what i've learned yeah 100% clever writing you, you can pretty much solve anything but it's just like whether or not you you have the mental fortitude or the ability to, to rethink because you're so locked into like your vision, right? It's like you have to be willing to like take that vision and throw it away completely and then come up with a new vision like on the spot, basically, which I think is hard. But it's also the, part of the fun of filmmaking is that like, you, you you use your mind to like, you know, you, you're only given so many things, but like what can you build with the, the few things that you are given, you know? And I think you can also honestly build a lot sometimes, you know? Well, I'm also thinking about scale because what you said kind of inspired this this addition from me. And it's like, well, maybe, you know, you're, you have this concert set, but maybe now it's an indoor concert and maybe actually it's a really small, intimate, unplugged concert rather than this spectacle. Yeah. And then maybe you don't have all the background actors that you were going to have in that spectacle scene. So that off day that you take to reformulate the plan, you cut all those extras and you cut all the equipment you needed for that big, what I think is probably a tentpole scene in the movie in this concert venue. And you reroute it to make a really beautiful, intimate scene instead. Like, can you can yeah. you reduce the scale and make it more meaningful and spend more time on coverage and the emotional core of the film rather than focus on spectacle? But then I always go back to this teen summer rom-com prompts that he gave us. It's like a lot of the tropes of these movies, if it's like a high school musical or whatever, is spectacle. So it's like, how do you recreate the trope in a, in a smaller way? There's this great zombie musical. I'm going to try to, I think it's Scottish. It's a Scottish zombie musical and they have this like wonderful... Oh, wow. They have like a lunchroom musical number that's really great. And it's like, Mm. 
maybe that's it. You know, maybe it's no longer, maybe it's in the high school now instead of at some summer right. vacation venue. Anyway, just for the mall. Or the mall. Oh, yeah. Or the mall. Gotta go. Like, there's these amazing indoor malls all across. I mean, I don't know if they have them in Florida. I'm sure they do. But like, you know, like our our America loves malls. That's what I've learned. So (laughs) I'm sure there's a really awesome mall somewhere in Florida that you could find where you could like shoot a bunch of your movie indoors while it's raining and it would be amazing. So, yeah, yeah, I would think about, yeah, like think about shopping mall. I mean, you know, different, different genre, right? But like they shot a whole movie in a mall and that shit's dope. So like I imagine the, the, the teen romance comedy version of that would also be very dope too. It just would be very different, you know, unless heads exploding. (laughs) Yeah, unless heads. And I guess the final thought I have is we didn't really talk about safety. So it's like all of these, you know, if you downsize after the freak storm, and I know it's called a freak storm, but that doesn't mean another freak storm's not going to follow it, right? There, Maybe this is the, the, yeah. the very humid weather of Dayton, Daytona, Florida. So it's like maybe downsizing to smaller venues, to more intimate scenes is going to put less people at risk for traveling through this storm, having to put less people up in the middle of you know, what could be a really health, a real health hazard. So yeah, it's not just about the story, right? It's about the production. Yeah. Got to take care of your people and not put them in danger. Cause like, you know, nothing, nothing's worth risking anyone's physical health <laughs> for a movie. So whatever decisions you make, you know, and, and maybe one day we'll get a question like this and it'll be like, well, we postponed the movie for six months. Yeah. You know, like may- maybe that maybe. is what you have to do at some point. Like you watch that man in La Mancha, you know, I don't know what it's called, but like lost in La Mancha maybe mm-hmm. the one about Terry Gilliam trying to make the Don Quixote movie like back in the 90s and it's like dude like there were so many times where he should have just been like nope we're not making this <laughs> let's back away people and it took so so much for for him to have to stop you know and it's like I think a lot of those situations it would have been like yeah well let's just no this is not working the way that we thought it was going to yeah, Just say no. Plan. Yeah. You can always send us a question, comment, or suggestion to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. If you like the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes. You could always send us questions for the game if you'd like. Just make sure you put that in the subject line so that Ulrich and I not, know not to read it. And we'll just send it to our producer, Eric. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at MMIH Podcast, YouTube at Making Movies is Hard Podcast. Check out the International Screenwriters Association, which is an organization designed to connect writers with filmmakers through the programs they offer. Head on over to networkisa.org to sign up for free today. Thanks to Craig Archibald for coming on the show. Oh, thanks to Tyson Taru for recommending Craig. Thanks to our editor, Jeff Freimuth, for doing the editing. Eric Toms, our producer, for being just fantastic human being and a great producer. Thanks to all of you for listening and talk to y'all next week. My first feature film, The Alternate, will be coming out on September 16th. So check out the trailer and the poster now. Whoa! You said 16th. You said 16th. Oh, oh my God. Uh, Let me do that again. 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 Do that again.